Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Top NATO military leaders in Europe are warning publicly that NATO nations must prepare for war with Russia. Norway's defense chief is saying Europe has three years to prepare for war with Putin's military. And Norway, of course, shares a rather lengthy border with Russia. The head of the British Army, Sir Patrick Saunders, this week said Britain should train a citizen army of 120,000 soldiers, well-prepared and equipped to fight the Russians. And Sweden's chief of defense has also warned of war with Russia. Christian Muller, a leading voice of the German Council for Foreign Affairs, has given a maximum timeline of six years before Europe is engaged in a war with Putin's Russia. We're going to speak about that with our next guest, Dr. Christian Leuprecht, who's a favorite contributor to this program, Queen's University and Royal Military College, fellow at the NATO College in Rome, national international security expert, and he warned on air with us just really weeks ago that this is the most dangerous time in the world that we've experienced in decades. But before we talk about the military matters that we're facing and the concerns about war, there's another story that we should all be aware of, and that is, and again, the Globe and Mail has reported uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, the TD Bank faces a stiff penalty from FinTrack for faulty controls to prevent money laundering in Canada. Major issue, huge issue. Uh, Dr. Leiprecht's book, which he co-edited with Dr. Jamie Farrell, they were both on the air with us a few weeks ago. The book is titled Dirty Money, Financial Crime in Canada and is published by McGill Queen's University Press. So, Christian, let's start with the, the issue of dirty money and the news story that TD Bank is going to be facing some rather stiff penalties from FinTrack because of faulty controls to prevent money laundering in this country. How do we put this into context? Yeah, and that's the key connection. Those are the nodes to connect here that I think uh, elude most Canadians, is that when our financial institutions and the financial system in this country does not perform according to the rule of law in the way it has been set out in the rules and regulations that have been set out, that explains why we have everybody as documented in a recent report by the uh, uh, International Alliance Against uh, uh, Illicit Economies, why we have Mexican cartels, Chinese triads, Iranian-based illicit finance networks, uh, people looking to evade Russian sanctions, all here in Canada, colluding and cooperating with one another. Canada has become um, a hub for illicit goods and contraband. Uh, it serves as a hub for global illicit trade. Um, Canada produces and distributes illicit goods, it exports contraband, and it is a safe haven for money laundering for global criminal networks. The problem is that our own law enforcement intelligence agencies are really just focused on domestic and to a lesser extent regional aspects of crime. And so the, tr the, the sophistication of the transnational components of organized crime uh, and the people who are colluding with organized crime is effectively evading them. And so this is why money laundering controls are so important and why TD eschewing them is so important, because this is what creates the hospitable climate in this country for all these global bad actors 
to run their money through here and to set up shop in this country. And so we can pretend these are problems, migrant migration problems in Mexico and violence in Ukraine and uh, Hamas and Hezbollah and that this is a problem in the Middle East. But it turns out that Canada is actually instrumental to many of these organizations and the way they flow their illicit gains and hide their illicit gains from across the world. How did we become such an easy target or such a, uh, a welcoming target? Well, so look, it's a combination of uh, that the national security framework that we have is simply not uh, aligned or suited for the 21st century. You've heard me refer, refer to national security in this country as rather homeopathic. We just had the decision from the federal court recently on the Emergencies Act. This all fits the broader pattern of that our legislation, um, our security intelligence agencies, um, the way we regulate our banks, um, the way we set up our financial intelligence unit, uh, even the fact that uh, governments make all sorts of pronouncements about things that they intend to do to do better, but then in the end, very little ends up getting done or what actually gets uh, gets done is sort of too little too late. Um, it is, I think, a, a broadly sort of an ignorance, the extent to which uh, all the problems that we say run counter to our interests, and that is to say the political, economic, environmental, health, security externalities, all that this creates, that we are ultimately um, not just a part of the problem, but within the Western alliance, the evidence is increasing emerging that we are a very significant part of the problem and much more significant than the way other countries, for instance, are being exploited because of the many weaknesses within our financial law enforcement, intelligence, and national security structures. Christian, how does this affect the Canadian family dealing with inflation, dealing with high interest rates, dealing with trying to renegotiate a mortgage. Many Canadians will hear this and say, look, that's so way beyond what I will ever have to deal with as far as financial reality is concerned. That's for the billionaires and the billionaire lawbreakers, not for me. How does it affect the average Canadian? Well, I think we should all be concerned when Canadian companies and Canadian technology is uh, complicit, for instance, in terrorist acts and in enabling um, the some of the heinous activities that we see by uh, terrorist organizations around the world, uh, including Hezbollah and Hamas. We should all be concerned when we have ample evidence that Mexican cartels, uh, Chinese triads, and uh, Iranian-linked money launderers are systematically using properties and assets in the greater Toronto area and throughout this country to professionally launder their gains and that people are effectively not being prosecuted for these types of activities. That we should all be concerned that the fentanyl that is causing a public health crisis in this country is not being imported into this country, that the precursors for fentanyl are being brought into this country and that the fentanyl is being manufactured here and exported to other allied countries as reported in the report that I mentioned, in particular, for instance, to Australia, but to many other parts of the world. So this is where Canadians should ultimately be concerned about what they're seeing in their streets, what they're seeing in terms of their housing prices, and, uh, and, and, and the concerns that they should have about making sure that 
their own bank that they bank with. I mean, we now have several of the large banks that have been levied with fines, um, and uh, uh, and it looks like there are more of these fines to come. But we can see that the fines in Canada are puny. We're leveling fines of $7 million, $10 million. In the United States, TD is looking at a fine vast in excess of perhaps uh, of, of, of hundreds of millions of dollars, possibly more. In Australia, fines are being levered, levied two of the four large banks, one with over a billion dollars, the other with $700 million. I think a $10 million fine is not really a great deterrent for the decision makers and the board at TD to do better. Do they do this intentionally or is it just not just, but is it largely oversight? I can't imagine that it's oversight because the FinTrack rules are pretty, they're they're there for all the financial institutions to understand and follow. Well, we've traditionally had a very reactive system. So what we're seeing is within the very restrictive confines that Canadian legislation has created for these agencies, that they are now trying to be more proactive with the very limited tools that they have. And I do think that there is both a combination of that, look, these are companies and their objective is ultimately the bottom line. And so anytime you invest in money laundering controls, in security, those are areas that don't generate profit, whether it's in Canada or elsewhere for companies or for financial institutions. So they will do the minimum that they must. And if they're not being held to account, then that minimum is going to be relatively little. The other is, of course, that this has not been a major uh, concern or preoccupation in this country. Canadian banks have long said, you know, the bank, the fines are being levied against banks in Switzerland, against banks in the in the United States, against banks in Australia. It turns out that here, like we often do in Canada, the smug Canadian attitude that we have, we are so much better than the rest of the world. And it turns out that we are subject to the same exploitations by professional money launderers and transnational organized crime as everyone else in the world. We've just been turning a blind eye to it. Yeah, if you leave the vault door open, somebody's going to go in and help themselves. It's human nature. And if, um, I mean, it's it sounds in a very fundamental way that that's exactly what's happening. Christian, on the issue, and and let me ask you to wear your military uh, analyst's hat here. So we have top European military leaders warning publicly that there's going to be war with Russia and they'd better get prepared. Norway's defense chief saying Europe has three years to prepare for a war with Putin's Russia. They share a rather large border, a long border with Russia. That has implications for this country. The the Norwegian situation, the head of the British army saying Britain should train a citizen army of 120,000 soldiers and be prepared to fight the Russians. Sweden's chief of defense is warned of war with Russia. And in an email you sent to me, Christian Moller, a leading voice at the German Council of Foreign Affairs, has given a maximum timeline of six years before a war with Russia, once war with Ukraine comes to an end. This is serious. Um, I hate to ask this because these are very credible people, but how credible is the threat? So here's the segue from our previous conversation to this conversation, that the illicit markets in Canada, of course, they impede the ability for the Canadian government to invest in economic growth, in difficult economic times, 
can't we don't have these illicit markets mean that this revenue is not here to invest in schools to protect families and so forth but it also means it's not there to invest in the defense that is so critical in this dangerous security environment and what we hear is our key european allies warning canada uh, and their own populations that the world is very likely to get tougher and of course the way we ultimately succeeded and built the prosperity in this country is by investing in deterrence to ensure stability in Europe and stability in North America. And of course, that worked like a charm after World War II with a relatively modest but important investment by Canada in European stability. We'll all remember the deployment of Canadian troops, for instance, to Germany during the Cold War. But one of the lesser known aspects of Canadian defense is that Canada has a role in shoring up Norway in case of war, uh, in order to protect that particular flank. Because if you look at it geostrategically, that's a key flank because this is sort of where Russia needs to bring its northern fleet and its submarines through if they want to reach the Atlantic. So Norway is a particular target and has long been a particular target. We know this also from World War II, of course, the German invasion um, of Norway. And so the other chiefs of the defense staff, this is not accidental because they look at Norway, they look at the geostrategic location of their own countries in the United Kingdom with regards to Sweden, and they can see where Russia's war machine is going to go. Regardless of the outcomes in Ukraine, that machine is going to keep going. And as German intelligence, for instance, reported just this week, it doesn't matter whether Putin, how long Putin stays in power or not, there are enough people around in his entourage who think like him, who are going to keep this machine going. So taking out Putin, Putin dying, whatever, is not going to solve this problem. So this is a problem that will persist for the medium term. And of course, in Canada, rather than actually having a vision for how we can contribute to the stability of Europe, uh, we are actually actively pulling money out of national defense um, uh, and, and not making the investments that ultimately our allies are calling for. Yeah, well, the announcement was made by the Trudeau government that they're going to be pulling a billion dollars out of spending on on Canada's military, which is already woefully under-equipped. Uh, do, do you believe, though, that Putin will, because he suffered tremendous losses in the war with Ukraine, uh, do you believe that he will be on a war footing with NATO nations, with NATO, with the West, within a few years, within three years after the Ukraine war ends? So Canadian politicians have always been astute practitioners of the art of the possible. They know that investment in defense is quasi-dead money. It doesn't generate economic growth. It doesn't generate social well-being. And so they know that it's ultimately not popular. And so over the decades, Canadian politicians have perfected sort of spending as little as possible on defense. The problem is, of course, as I've argued repeatedly, and as many other people who observe this domain closely, is that the premium that we've been paying on this insurance policy is simply not enough. And that the lessons from the first half of the 20th century should teach us that spending even a slightly higher premium will get us much better returns than letting all of this get out of hand. And look, we can see that deterrence is not having the effect that we want. Look at the Houthis in the Middle East where deterrence has not worked. Look at uh, Putin when it comes to the invasion of Ukraine. Clearly Putin was not deterred by the Western Alliance or the United States in terms of his invasion of Ukraine. And so now that he ke he's keeping going, 
if we drop, especially if we drop our support for Ukraine, then you can bet this will further embolden Putin to keep going. And the likely targets are either the Nordic countries or some of the Baltic countries, because they're the most difficult to defend in terms of their geostrategic locations. Uh, and they're the biggest prize for Putin, ultimately, in terms of, uh, of winning back in his sort of uh, dream of the Soviet reunion, uh, that uh, the nightmare that he's been creating for the Russian population and uh, for, for his neighborhood. And Canada can play an important role here. Um, countries such as Denmark, uh, Norway have reopened um, uh, uh, factories to manufacture ammunitions and ordnance to make sure that they can be appropriately equipped and prepared. What are we doing in this country to make sure we have sustainable investments that send a clear signal to Putin that marching over any territorial lines, let alone NATO territory, is simply not going to be worth his gambit? Seems surreal. Even though we've been following the war um, in Ukraine, we've been speaking with the Ukrainian guests, seems surreal that we should be thinking about a war footing in, uh, in the West in the, in the next couple of years. Christian, thank you so much. It's always great speaking with you. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, there's a lot of work that we have to do in defending this country yep. and defending our allies. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 